G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Oh my goodness. This is race control, Repco race control with Stephen McIver. Greg's now gone off to do what he said he was going to do, but actually he told me a wee fib. Okay, I just found out. He's not actually going to do things with um, Rally New Zealand. He's actually doing something with uh, the launch of GT7, Gran Turismo 7. It is what it is. But anyway, that's not important anymore because we have a special guest in the house who can do this. Bring it home is the message to Mitch Evans for him and for Jaguar. Mitch Evans through the final corner to win the Roby Prix for Jaguar. Yeah, I, I think that's what he does, and he joins us now. But are you going to scream like that, Mitch Evans? Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Um, great intro. <laughs> <laughs> that was my engineer, actually. <laughs> Just to clear that up. <laughs> that, was, that was 2019, pal. It's, it seems like forever ago. I know. I know. It was my first ever Formula E win. It was a special – honestly, that was a very, very special time in my life. So um, first win for me, for Jaguar. Um, and formally, so it was yeah, it was a special moment. So thanks for bringing that those memories back oh, up. Mate, mate, I, well, we talked we talked earlier this week on uh, Sky Speed, and and I get I get the impression you're quite an emotional sort of bloke. I just got that feeling about it. Now we because we talked about your FT40, uh, the way you won the Toyota Racing Series twice, right? And you, your dad's turned into a, a boardroom table, which is amazing in his man cave. And I want to go back over that. Because I got, I thought you were going to shed a tear for a moment. I'm not being disrespectful. I thought, man, this this means a lot to you. Is it is it the car, the racing, or just having the ability to do what you can do? It's probably a mixture of everything. Um, and to be honest, since I've been in Europe, I've been in Europe for ten years. Sorry, eleven years now. Because um, yeah, you don't sound like a Kiwi anymore. I've got to give you that. You know what? I don't yeah. know what it is though. I'm trying to figure it out. What I have that? no idea what your accent is. Neither. <laughs> I think it's a nothing accent. It's just I'm just uh, accent of the world. You oh know? wow, nice comeback. <laughs> um, I think it's a mixture because like I've been in Europe for quite a few years now. Um, that car was the last car I raced before I went to Europe, and I achieved quite a bit of success with that. Um, and that's sort of when I look back. I mean, every element of my career has always been very important to go, you know, to achieve certain success, to be able to get funding and and the confidence to go to the next step. But that was the last step I went. You know, I I, I needed to really achieve before I went to Europe and got the support by a lot of great backing, like the Gilltrap family, like Mike Morton, um, mm. you know, companies like Banklink, um, you know, many other companies that supported me. Um, and it was off the back of that championship, the first one in 2010. And then I went to win the second championship and, and uh, Moto Cup and mo- like multiple times, the Grand Prix. So it's just um, – and that car is the most winning FT40 hmm. um, in the history. So it just – yeah, it was great that my dad um, purchased the car now that they don't run that generation car anymore. And, yeah, just seeing it just – and that livery and, and actually – because we'll set up my dad's new man cave that he's mm. created with all our trophies. It's amazing. I, I just, I kind of forgot, um, you know, what we've achieved. And, you know, that just brought back a lot of emotion, seeing all my trophies. And, and how, old, how old are you now? 
27. Wow, and you're talking like you're, you're 50 or 60, you know? <laughs> I, honestly, I feel like I'm in my 40s. You, you know, you you know, it reminded me of something, and just talking to you now about it, I remember going when your dad had the panel beaters, right? And I remember going there, and he had go-karts, a couple of go-karts everywhere, right? And he had a full-time mechanic for you guys. And it just struck me that I went, hang on, I'm talking to this, I'm talking now to this, this young man who was knee-high to a grasshopper back then, and the effort that your family put in People don't realise that, do they? I mean, you were very fortunate. Let's be blunt. You know, Dad could was able to have a mechanic, and and he, I think he had a he had an te- engine testing machine, the whole nine yards. Yeah. But to see where you are now, you suddenly realise how much people have given and invested in you for all the right reasons. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fascinating. You know, it all goes back to the go kart days when. Um, I mean, I was very lucky that I've had a dad in motorsport, mm-hmm. um, and I think motorsport's quite a unique sport from the sake that. You know, it's you need you need your family into it. You know, oh, while yeah. you're a kid, because it's not a natural sport to jump into. Obviously, a natural sport is, um, you know, footy, soccer, tennis, mm-hmm. golf, or something. You know, that's a more of a natural progression. Um, where you know, motorsports quite a left of field sport to get your kid into. So, first of all, I was very lucky. My dad was already into it very successful, knew and understood the sport, which again is another real key element to I think my success is because he understood the sport. He understood what I, what was needed f- to give me the best opportunity. Um, I think another reason why he got a mechanic is because he didn't trust me with the tools. Because <laughs> me with, honestly, me with the tools is a disaster. Oh, okay, so this is an interesting point that we have to raise now. So are you a race car driver that can fix the car? Are you a race car driver that is technically savvy or do you say, I'll just drive the race car because I'm naturally really good and I'll listen to what you're saying? So w- with actual tools in my hand, horrendous. And I've, <laughs> Trust I've got me, no know qualms. that feeling. I've got, <laughs> I've got no, no qualms of saying it. Um, yeah. Obviously back in the day, you know, racing drivers used to make, you know, you know maintain their own cars and, and get, you know, their hands dirty. I don't mind getting my hands dirty, but it's just I'm a liability with the tools. So my dad learned from an early stage keep to Mitch, not trust me with keep, with the kid. Yeah, keep Mitch out just, of there. Just just tell me the feedback from what the cart's doing. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I'm very good with feedback, and and technically, I'm very good with what I need from a cart or a car. Um, and obviously, driving it, I'm okay. So my brother, on the other hand, was a lot better with the tools. And Simon, could, Simon. Simon's a lot better. He's yeah. better with the tools. Compared to me, yeah. Wow. Which I'm not setting the bar very high. Let's, but, um, let's, be, <laughs> let's be done. I know Simon. He doesn't look like a guy with, with, good with tools, but we'll leave no, it he's there. No, he's not bad, to be fair. He's not bad. And the thing is, my dad, because we're both racing at the same time, it's yeah. too much for my dad. So my dad used to sort of look after my cart. And then the other, so we had a full-time mechanic that used to look after Simon's cart, because, yeah. just because it was a little bit easier to manage for, for my dad. So, um, <laughs> yeah. But when you go to, when you, then you look at the, you know, Europe and how the European go karting it's a whole new scale yeah. like it's just like it's like f1 on a, yeah. little, a mini version of f1 yeah yeah that's it's that insane. competitive that much money being you know on a on in context lots of money being thrown into it oh it's, some of these families are spending two hundred thousand euro plus a year on on one on, car on one son which, or one daughter look, i can't remember what we spent in, in new zealand but it was it was a quarter of that you know um oh and goodness. even that was probably a lot of you know yeah. high budget so um Let's say relative terms, New Zealand, yeah, I had a good good opportunity. Um, but on a global scale, you know, it's just we can't compete with that. What was it like going into open wheel in Europe? How much of a shock was it to be on the grid and have to compete? It was um, 
I knew it was going to be difficult uh, just because, you know, it's it's the, let's say, the pinnacle of single-seater racing. Um, but I was full of confidence. So I, I was going there with one one sort of goal, and that was to try and, you know, shake, you know, shake the... Um, shake the tree. Yeah, shake the tree. And, and, and I was coming off the back of, you know, quite a bit of success in New Zealand. So I thought I was, I thought I was the man, but I think I had to have that approach because it was so much more, well, it was, it was more difficult than I was expecting. Um, I, I was able to win my first race in Europe, you know, in GP3, which, which was a quite a, sorry, my second race um, in GP3 against, you know, guys like Bottas and, you know, very well established drivers that have gone to do really great things. I was only 16. So, but I had to go in with this mentality that I thought I was the best because otherwise you just get absolutely eaten up over there, especially in a, in a competitive field like GB3. It's 30 cars. Um, everyone's split by just, you know, tenths, mm. half a tenth. So, um, and I got pole by like one thousandth of a second and I managed to win the race. But it was, but then from there, you know, obviously you, it's a bit of a roller coaster. You know, it's, it's not smooth like that every every race. It's, it's pretty... Um, it's really demanding, and uh, yeah, it's, it's just I got a few wake up calls along the way. So, um, but yeah, the next year I was able to win the championship, so it all turned out okay. But it didn't head where you wanted it to head, did it? I mean, obviously, the winning the GP three championship was massive, which then gave me the the funding to go to GP two. And that GP two year, which was in two thousand thirteen, was was the year I had to, you know, really stamp my authority, and and it was the most important year of my life and my career to try and, you know, achieve my dreams of getting to, to Formula One. And unfortunately, you know, just I got a podium in my first race, which was great, but then, and I got a few other podiums throughout the year. I got four podiums, but just not enough like big results to, let's say, get the attention of 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 the um of of you know. Bigger, bigger teams yeah, or F one right. teams. I mean, so to, so then money becomes an issue, right? I mean, because you know, yeah. let's, let's be blunt. If if you're not being cherry picked by some of the key teams as a driver, they will to employ. You got to find the coin, right? Yeah, exactly. And and look, I think I could do. I, I wish I could do some things differently. Um, I was approached by Red Bull to be part of their junior team in 2012, which we turned down. Um, which look, if I go back now, would I would have taken that offer up? Yes. Potentially, <laughs> potentially. Um, there's a few factors behind the scenes that I can't really talk about. That's yeah, the reason why we, we didn't go down that route. Um, and the other one was I had another team to choose from to go to GP2, which was Dams, who mm-hmm. were the previous champions. They were a little bit more expensive, and I was very tight on, on the money that we could raise. Um, but I ended up going with a team I won GP3 with in GP2 to, you know, just that loyalty and, and then have a bad year the previous year. But it just didn't work out. Um, I was meant to test for Red Bull. That year, uh, I got sort of, uh, let's say, um, someone leapfrogged me, uh, which was really hard to take. And then, yeah, then it just sort of was tricky because I, I didn't have funding to go for the next year. So I ended up going with a team called Russian Time. Yeah, I remember it well. And uh, I got a f- I got two free years out of them, uh, which was able, you which know, is, finished which fourth. Is, which is mega with because people got to realize it's. I mean, let's be blunt: financing an F two drive. Because let's let's just put in context having two free years in GP two. How yep. much? Oh, let's just make it easy. How much did that save you having to raise three million euro? So about six million dollars yeah. there. We yeah. we double it now, was it? No, not quite. But okay, let's say five. It saves you five million dollars. Yeah. So after the two years, <laughs> yeah, which is, which is it's just mega. mind blowing, isn't it? It was silly. 
It's you know when you think and it's about it's with the best team. You know, like Russian Time was a solid team, but to go with the best team, you're looking at two million euro. So, yeah. um, I mean, I didn't I didn't have the budget in the first year to go with ART. Even Dams was a bit of a stretch, but I did. It was a slight mm. possibility. But you know, Arden, I got money for winning the GP3 championship. That went straight into into my into my budget for for GP2. But I got a very, I got a very good deal for my first GP2 year. And then, yeah, then after that I had to, you know, I was very lucky to be in a position that I could not have to find the money. I wasn't with the best team, but it was it was with a team that provided me, I, I was able to achieve five wins with them. Yeah, well, um, that's, you know, that's still saying something, Mitch. Yeah. You know, you can't knock yourself about over that because you said, you know. I made say, the most of the situation, I would say. But... Um, didn't didn't did, you couldn't just crack the, the egg that you wanted to when you when you're in that position where you're going yeah you know, the dream is F one but you can't quite get there um, it's uh, it's it's a dark place it's a dark place um, and I was it probably took me to like end of 2014 to actually really realize that was not going to happen obviously f- 13 was was a dark year because I was I had to come in with a bang it didn't happen I had a really solid year in 14 I, got, I finished fourth in the championship. Got multiple wins, a lot of podiums, mm. but not enough to go on pure merits. If I had money, like it would have been pretty straightforward. But I mean, if you okay, so so if you look at your yourself as a driver at that period, and if you'd had money, right, would you have won more races and a better team? For sure, you like you, you were that confident in your own ability. Yeah, because I think you have to be right; otherwise, you will get chewed up and spat out. Yeah, I look. I've got full belief. If I was in a different different situation, I would have. You know, I could have eased. Not, I could have fought a lot. Yeah, you would have been more competitive and probably at the front of the field a lot more. Yeah. Opened a few more eyes, and things might have just unfolded. For sure. So, the, so someone tells me it's a really bad thing to have regrets. Do you have any regrets about that period in yeah. your career? Yeah, you do. Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. So, okay, making the decisions maybe not to go for another team, this and another. But in your own heart. You drove the, as best as you could. So you didn't let yourself down. It was circumstance. Yeah. Uh, honestly, to be totally honest, and I, I feel like I'm, I, I, I've got quite an open mind when it comes to these things, um, I, I, I left everything out there. Yeah. Yeah, like, and I, I destroyed all my teammates in the same equipment. And that's when things don't go right, you have to look at your comparison to your teammate because they're the ones with the same equipment as you. Um, destroyed all of them and... Like it just wasn't quite enough. It was close, but just not enough. And do I have regrets in terms of the team I maybe chosen 13? Yes. But did I give my absolute best? 100%. So what can you do, right? Yeah. I mean, how did you get yourself out of the dark place? Did you have family? Um, yeah, it was, family, it was uh, a tricky friends. time. I mean, did, I mean, was it really dark? I mean, did yeah, you, yeah. I, I mean, was, I, and I, okay, let's be blunt because blokes talk about a lot of the stuff, stuff right now. We, did you get a point where there's a little bit of depression coming in? Yeah, and to be honest, it's not really something I've spoken about openly. And ever, you really, and, mate, you don't have to either. No, 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 I don't mind. I mean, I'm in a good place now, so yeah. it's, it's okay. Um, yeah, I was, I was borderline depressed um, because. You know, especially when I did my fourth year of GP2, which was a bit of a just a... Yeah, here we go again. Yeah, I, I you know, I knew it was all over. Um, it was with a team that I knew I was not going to be competitive with, but I was I was actually getting paid to race that year. And I didn't really know what the hell I was going to do after that. And then I I got a bit of a lifesaver. I, I, got, I got thrown a lifeline with Formula E and with, uh, again, a call from Jaguar that they were coming back to motorsport 
um, after their spell in F1, then a bit of a drought out of the sport. Um, and I was sort of starting to look at Formula E because, you know, the guys there were starting to make some good money and guys that I, I knew that I raced against in GB2 or GB3 mm-hmm. were in the championship and some good names. So I, th- I started just taking a little bit of interest and then just out of the blue, I got a call from, or my management got a call from Jaguar that they were looking for drivers. Okay, hold that thought because we're going to talk about Formula E in just a moment. Just quickly before we take our first break, uh, just a reminder, this is Mitch Evans, Formula E Jaguar works driver in Formula E, uh, managed by, it's uh, for a while, by ex-Formula One driver Mark Webber, correct? Yeah, correct. So I signed with Mark end of 2010. Still with him now? Still with him now, yeah. Oh, okay. And does that open doors because of who he is? Um, yeah, I think, yeah, definitely to a degree, yes. Um, and, you know, Mark knows the sport inside out, so he's got a lot of credibility. You know, a lot of people got a lot of respect for him. Um, so, yes, definitely, definitely helps. It must be pretty scary being a young kid uh, away from home uh, and and the dark place coming on. So, Did you – I have to ask this question because it's it's a subject in this country that doesn't get dealt with, and guys don't talk a lot about it, Right. Did you seek out professional health to get yourself in the right space? Um, not so much, no. no. But you listened and, and went to the right people to work yourself through it. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I probably could have seeked more help, to be honest. I was a bit too proud. and That's a, mate, it's a bloke thing. There's yeah. nothing to be ashamed about there. Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, and I was, trying to, I was just trying to deal with it on my own in different ways and um, – yeah, it was. It was, doesn't work. Huh? You got to ask it's, someone. It's tricky, yeah, and it's probably I've seeked help later in my later like, years, but yeah. um, a little bit too late. But never too late, mate. Because yeah. if it was too late, you wouldn't be here. Let's be blunt about yeah, that, yeah. okay? Yeah. And you're in your happy place right now. We'll talk about the happy place, which is Formula E with Mitch Evans here on Repco Race Control.